0: Welcome to the Practical Church Revitalization podcast. We look at revitalization in real time, examining the ups and downs of revitalizing and replanting historic and legacy churches throughout New England and the U.S. Now here's your hosts. All right, how is everybody today? Terrific. Yeah. He is risen. We say that, but how many of us really believe? Today we are going to be in Matthew 28, 1 through 10. This is a, this is one of the four resurrection accounts that are in the gospel. It's interesting because when we think about it, uh, each one is different, each one has a different account. And we can take a multitude of weeks weeks to study each one of these accounts, to understand the nuances, to understand the language, to understand everything that is in it. But today we are going to look at Matthew's account. Matthew was one of the 12. He most likely, even though we see that it says that they scattered, most likely he witnessed the crucifixion from afar. He knew Jesus died. He heard the account from John who was right at the foot of the cross. So for him to write this with such vigor and such knowledge shows the belief that he had. We will begin now. And the angel and, and for fear of him the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said, Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly. And tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed, and quickly, for, they, so they departed quickly from the tomb, for fear and great joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Behold, Jesus met them and said, "Greetings." And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Now, we take this account. We have to think about this. We have to think about the time that they are in. There was a lot of fear going on in there. They were fearing for their own lives. They were fearing for persecution. And what they witnessed was both a relief and a joy. And think about that in your own lives. Think about that. The point that you were at your most defeated, what was it? What brought it on where you felt defeat but then you felt joy? Was it when bills were piling up, or you had a dead car, maybe an eviction notice, a broken relationship, the death of a loved one, it brings you down to a low. That is the moment we enter into this story. Jesus had died on the cross. There were witnesses to this. These people loved him as a friend, as a brother. Many of them were just starting to really, truly understand that he was the Lord. They went defeated. Just a week ago, they were celebrating. Hosanna! Hosanna! Save us! They were celebrating. They were coming in. Celebrating. The Messiah coming in just as the prophecies had said. And now they prepared to go and properly prepare it. the body. When we look at what had happened during the Passion Week, we see that he had performed many miracles and even taught up to the Passover. And within hours of celebrating the feast with his apostles, he was arrested, tried in a kangaroo court, and dragged to his death, beaten like a common criminal. Even then, he was sent to the Roman governor, who could not see fault in the man. And wanted to release him. And yet had to sentence him to death to satisfy the people. And crucifixion was a horrible way to die. You basically suffocated to death, you hung up, and under your own weight, your heart and your lungs were contracted, so you could not breathe, and your heart would start stop. They had witnessed this, the cruelty, the beating. They felt defeated and suddenly they walked in and they saw the empty tomb. They saw what had been prophesied and they still needed help to see what was going on. We look at this What does it mean? It means the empty tomb means victory. What is it victory over? Look, this is what it says. He is not here for he has risen as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Now we have to remember this. The Jewish leaders did not want, they knew everything that Jesus had taught. They knew that Jesus had talked about resurrection and that his body would not be there. They knew the prophecies. They knew the scriptures. Well, and so when they put the body in the grave, half prepared, if we're in all honesty, he died just merely hours before the Sabbath. So there was not enough time to properly prepare the body. And that's what Mary and the other Mary were going to do. They were going to now properly prepare the body for proper burial. They had guards there. They sealed the tomb. They put the seal of the governor on it so that they knew that there was no way that the disciples and the apostles could go in there and steal the body. And yet the results were what they feared most happened. And it wasn't that they came and stole the body. It was that the body wasn't there we think about it in this way we think about how people want to hide the truth and this is what this is what they did they wanted to hide this truth we see this in their stories they wanted to hide the truth about Jesus resurrection and we see that in today we see that in the way that we look at media we look at different things and we see that this person says this, that person says that, we don't know which one to believe. We don't know what story is real and what story is false. And is it a wonder why it's hard for people to understand the resurrection and believe the truth of it today, when truth has become so blurred, We look at it in this way. When people try to hide the truth, the truth is always going to come out one way or the other. Think of it this way. The the grandfather that says, I don't have anything to leave you, but when I die, there's a sock that I keep under the boards of my bed. And when I die, you can come and get that. And so the grandson goes after the father is the grandfather has passed away and he digs up the floorboards and what does he find? He finds the sock. And he goes into the sock and he feels it. And he feels, he knows that there's rolled up cash in there. And he starts counting it. And he starts realizing that it was about $75,000 there. His grandfather told him, He didn't have anything to leave him, except what was there. He told him the truth. He just didn't want him to be spending it before the time came. With us, the Father, in doing this preparation for us, he wanted us to realize, he wanted them to realize the joy, the utter, utter joy that they would feel well, the thing is, this empty tomb means that Jesus was who he said he was. Jesus, they say, never proclaimed to be the Son of God. And yet, when we look at it, the reason why the Pharisees were upset at him is because he was proclaiming he was the Son of God, and he was God. We look at it as he does the miracles on the Sabbath. And he says, the only one that can do this is the Lord of the Sabbath. Well, who is the Lord of the Sabbath? It's God. When he's before the Sanhedrin and they ask who he is, he says, I am, which was what God gave Moses as a personal name. And these are the things that we see And here we see that the empty tomb not only means that Jesus was who he said he was, but that God is God victorious in defeating death and sin. See, the guards were there to keep the body from being stolen, and yet the body was not there, and they knew this. We look at what Scripture says. Hold on. It says, where am I? Man, this is this is what you do when you prepare this at midnight. There we are. This is what we see. They say, and this is what the Sanhedrin tells the soldiers to tell people. Tell people his disciples came by night and stole them away while we were asleep. (laughs) While we were asleep. (laughs) Let me tell you something. There's a few of us here who have served in the military. And I'm sure we've all done guard duty. And if you fall asleep on guard duty, you are thrown in the brig. And you are given a lot better than what Roman soldiers were. Roman soldiers, if they had fallen asleep, they were put to death. Roman soldiers, if they had fallen asleep, not only were they put to death, but their families too. So, why would they be told this? Why would we get this story? There's lies their lies because they knew the truth. They knew that something had happened. These guys were not put to death. They were paid off by the Jewish council. They were told to tell this lie. If something was not there, if there was not some kind of truth, we would have to understand this. The truth is, they were filled with fear and trembling, and it says that right there in Scripture. It says that. They witnessed something. They were like dead people when, Mary, when the Marys came and saw them. They were like dead people. And the angel was still there. So they didn't dare move. They didn't know what was going on. What the guards might have seen also was Jesus walking out of the tomb and the earthquake that followed. Now think of that. They see the stone rolled away and they're wondering what's going on and they're thinking, well, it's just an earthquake and it, 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 it loosened the seal and the stone rolled back. But suddenly the dead guy in there is walking out alive and breathing how are they going to act they're going to be like dead men think about that yourself what would you be like if you saw that you know we, we laugh we joke we we have shows out there on tv like the walking dead you know we talk about you know how that would be and how we take care of it and all sorts of things I have a friend who pastors a church, and his church sits across from a graveyard, and every Sunday in the summer, he has the middle row doors looking out there, and he says, you know what the best part of my job is? The best part of my job is that if the Lord returns on a Sunday while I'm preaching, I'm gonna be looking out that door and I'm gonna see the dead in Christ rise first and I'm gonna know, hey guys, get ready, we're ready to go. (laughs) And that's the hope we get from this. We get this excitement about it, but for the soldiers, they feared. The guards, here's the thing, the guards had seen many dead people in their lives. They killed people. They were soldiers, and yet at the sight of an angel, the earthquake, and the dead man walking out of his last resting place, they were in awe of the one we should all be in awe of. Jesus being alive means that death was defeated. The Bible historians show us that all but one of the remaining apostles meant horrible deaths. But in their final words, the actions that they understood that this was not the end. In other words, the 11 remaining apostles, because Judas was replaced by Matthias, so we went back to 12, they all faced death willingly, knowing that they had seen and witnessed the resurrected Christ and that death had nothing over them. In fact, Paul writes this about death here. He says, oh death, where is your victory? Oh death, where is your sting? The sting of death in sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is the thing. God victorious gives us the victory. Jesus being the firstborn, meaning he is the one that is first resurrected. Now, because of that, we as co-heirs can look forward to the same. And what does that mean? It gives us hope. The empty tomb means hope. And we look at this verse. It says, here, this is the angel. He says, then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There he will, you will see him, I have told you.
1: They have this
0: hope that they can see him. But the interesting thing here is who is the one who is given the message? It's the women. When the women went to the tomb, they expected to see a dead body. The dead body of their teacher, their beloved brother. What they didn't expect was to see the guards scared to death, an angel and their teacher alive and well. The hope of the resurrection that we will see our loved ones again, those who have passed on and those we leave behind when we pass on. But here's the thing. For this to happen, for these women to be the ones to share the news, this was God flipping the script, as they say. Because women could not testify in court. Jewish law had this thing that you could not trust the witness of a woman. They were considered as unreliable witnesses. And the misogyny of this practice, historians believe it goes back to the Garden of Eden because of Eve being tempted and falling for the lie of the serpent. And the fact that the angel tells the women what to tell the disciples shows that God has and is continuing to change things. In fact, Paul, who was a Pharisee and knew this, he points out that God uses the things that make no sense to show us who he is. We look at this, it says, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing, nothing, things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. In other words, there's nothing you or I can do in order to earn our salvation. Our salvation was given through Christ's victory over death. The angel's words that he says to them when he says, fear not, they are meant to be comforting. And when we look at it, there are moments that mirror the first birth of Christ and the rebirth of Christ in the resurrection. In both accounts, the angel announces the birth to the shepherds and says, fear not. And the angel that announces the resurrection to the Marys basically says the same thing, fear not. The shepherds were low in rank. The shepherds could not go to the temple and worship. You would be hard luck to find a shepherd that could go to the temple and worship because of all the added laws that the Pharisees put on them. They could never worship. It was not the job that you wanted. And sadly, it was the job that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had and King David before he was king. They had taken a noble, noble work and made it dirty. And here we see where God takes the lowest of the low in the Pharisees' eyes, women who cannot be trusted, and he entrusts them to be the first to go and proclaim Christ is risen. And yet, yet, we know this to be true. When we look at the words that the angel is speaking, when it says that the angel spoke, the Greek word there actually means answered. So most likely the women asked a question, where is he? Where is he? Where is Christ? And he answers them. The guards, are trembling in fear like dead men, and the women are told, just don't. Don't worry, don't fear. Their questions are answered, and their hope is returned. This incredible sadness that they have been feeling, it tells us they now have joy. They are overflowing, and in mere moments, they are going to realize just how alive their teacher is. We look at this verse here. This is Paul repeating. He says, And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. And what that means is all the sin, all everything. We had all the stuff that separated us from God. That sight of the resurrected Jesus that they are about to see means that that bridge has been spanned, and now we can have fellowship with God again. And this is what it means the empty tomb means life. Look at this it says, And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, "Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Now here's the thing. there's no doubt there's no doubt in their mind that they knew he was dead. Mary Magdalene was there, she was at the foot of the cross. She witnessed his body coming off. She probably helped Mary's, the mother of Christ, wipe the blood from his face. She knew this one person, this one man who treated her so well, unlike the other men in her life, had been dead. And yet, even though they saw the soldier spear the side, that there was no doubt he was not breathing. That there was no doubt that this innocent man had passed. That he was alive. And we see this. The women fall at his feet and worship him. They have an understanding that he is who he said he is. They are worshiping God in the flesh. And Jesus' words of do not be afraid are to relax the women's remaining fears that we see that they had. They know now that death is defeated and that God is able to fully do what he says he will do. And this is the hope that we cling to. This is the hope that many who fight life threatening illnesses, who go willingly into battle to give up their lives, who believe in Christ, they know that this is just the beginning. But yet, atheists will argue that faith is just a crutch. Faith is a crutch. And yet we, we look and we find out that there are other accounts outside of the Bible about Jesus. There was a historian, Josephus. He was a soldier. He was a soldier who fought Rome, he was captured, and was put into slavery. By all accounts, he should hate the Romans. He should fear them. He was asked to be their historian in Jerusalem. And in so doing, he would have to make sure that the accounts fit the Roman narrative. And yet, this is what he wrote about Jesus. This is going to be a little small, but I'll read it from here. It says, At this time... There lived Jesus, a wise man, if indeed one ought to call him a man. For he was one who performed surprising deeds and was a teacher of such people as accept the truth gladly. He won over many Jews and many of the Greeks. He was the Messiah and went upon the accusation of the principal men among us, Pilate had condemned him to the cross. Those who had first come to love him did not cease. He appeared to them, spending a third day restored to life, for the prophets of God had foretold these things and a thousand other marvels about him. And the tribe of the Christians, so called after him, has still to this day not disappeared. That is, in the testimonium of, by Josephus. It's also called the Jewish Antiquities. We see this. By all accounts, that shouldn't have been in there. By all accounts, that portion should not be in there because Rome did not want that known. If Rome wanted that known, It would show that they were weak. And yet, it's in there. He found it necessary to write about Jesus in his history of the Jewish people for the Romans. And the truth is there. Jesus is not dead. He is alive. He is in heaven and he is waiting for you and me. We look at this And here's the thing. Jesus is waiting. He is waiting for you to make a choice. A choice that means the difference between life and death. God loves people so much that he gave up his only son. We see that in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now here's the rub on this. The rub is, it's that simple. You read it. Believes in him. There's no magical formula. There's no trying to live an extremely good life. There's not even anything tied to eating certain foods. Meditation or even hidden knowledge. It is not even tied to saying a sinner's prayer. Do you know there is no sinner's prayer in the Bible? This is what the Bible says. Believe and confess with your mouth. Paul writes this. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Amen. just like that. And we have this great, great example of that at the foot of the cross. They witnessed this. Jesus is raised up, and on his right and his left, there are thieves placed there. And one thief is there mocking him. If you are God, set yourself down. The other thief sits there And he says, have you no sense? For what you and I have done, we deserve. But this man, this man is innocent. Look at it. He says this. To the other, he rebukes him, saying, "Do do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we, indeed, justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he confesses in the next verse. He says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He confesses, he believes. And look what Jesus says to him. He says, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. There's no formula. Just believe. Just believe. You have to accept the free gift of God. Paul writes it in this way. He says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. In other words, we look at what other religions say. They say, you gotta do this, you gotta do that. No. Here's the thing. It's faith, it's believing. This is what Luther, when he looked at what the Catholic Church taught and he struggled and he wrestled with and as much as he wanted to stay Catholic, he could not because... He was convicted by what he read and studied and he saw this. He saw this verse and he realized all the added stuff that the Catholic Church is doing is legalistic and wrong. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. In other words, we can only boast in Christ Jesus, because He is the one. He is the one who's paid the price for us. We just believe and accept. So now I'm going to do this. I don't believe. I don't believe in, in a sinner's prayer. I've been convicted of that. For a few years now, after studying in seminary, I'm not against people doing it, but I don't believe in it. What I do believe is that you make Christ the Lord of your life. You believe and you confess. So I'm going to ask all of you right now to bow your heads and close your eyes. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to say this. God gave up his son because he loved you so much. And the son took the death upon him, the payment for our sin, and trusted in the Father to bring him back to life through the resurrection, to open the door to let us have that relationship with the Father. So at this moment, if you have never trusted God fully, if you have never trusted him with your heart and you want to, raise your hand. God has paid a price for us. It's a price that none of us, I don't think, would ever want to give up. Anyone who has a child. I don't think would ever want to give up their child. But the father did. Now here's the other thing. Maybe you have been really struggling in your relationship with God. Maybe you're sitting there and you're fighting all sorts of spiritual battles. Maybe there are things going on in your life right now where you know God has been leading you somewhere and you need to make changes raise your hand if you're trying I'll be there after we pray for you and pray for you throughout the weeks because that's what God wants he wants you to be brave he wants you to live the life that you want to so if you want to raise your hands raise them now I see that I see that See that? Now here's the other thing. This free gift is not for us to keep. This free gift is for us to keep giving away. And it's not really ours to give. It's Christ's, it's God the Father's. But we are to point others in that direction. So I'm gonna challenge you that we would go and do this today and this week. For whoever the loved ones are that we have in our life that we would just return them, point them to Christ. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for this day. We thank you that we celebrate the Resurrection. And Father, we look at how this is, what you did, the love you had for us, the love your son had for us. We thank you for it. And Father, right now, I pray for those who raise their hands either in accepting your son today or looking to rededicate themselves. And Father, I pray for them. I pray that you would grow them strong. You would help them. That they would grow to be the children you have called them to be today. Father, we look at your son as the obedient child. And I pray that we would do the same. We would go out from these walls today seeking the lost, to point them to him. Give us your eyes and your heart for the lost and help us. We pray this in Jesus' name.